Hello and welcome to Getting Lit, Alana and Wendy's totally excellent romance novels and cocktails podcast. This is season four, episode seven of our romance novel focus podcast. My name is Alana and I'm one of your hosts today. And I'm Wendy, your other host. Today, we are delving into the romance genre of, I'd say, Texas uh, and a classic romance novel. And we'll be discussing Texas Destiny by Lorraine Heath. Would you call this Texas? Is that a, is that a genre? Or do we think that's a genre? Texas? I think so. I think uh, cowboy is a genre, but specifically Texas is also a genre. Yes. And this is also... Uh, post-Civil War Texas, so it's not modern cowboys. It's cowboys who live on a ranch and basically do the Oregon Trail. They basically, they also do the Oregon Trail. And, like, when I was, we are reading this as well, because when I looked up, like, the top romance novels, this one, Texas Destiny, often shows up on the list. Like, this is one of those, like, classic romance novels. weird. I think it's from, like, 1993. Um, oh, that one explains it. Which, you know... But yeah, so yeah, so it's so it's ranchers, it's post-Civil War, um, it's wounded warrior, I would say. Mm-hmm. Yes, for sure. So. For sure, for sure, wounded warrior. How are you, Wendy? How is your Sunday going? Pretty good. Um, sitting on my hammock, hanging out with my new foster dog, so it's pretty good. Tell us how about this foster dog. Um, His name is Pogo, and he's really shy right now. He hangs out in the bathroom because that's, like, the most enclosed space. Um, But he, like, sometimes really slowly inches out of the bathroom to, like, sit down in front of the bathroom or down the hall to, like, hang out with us, you know? (laughs) He's like, hey, I'm going to hang out with you guys. Here, I will see in the hallway. And I'm guessing this is a chihuahua. Is it like a chihuahua thing? No, he's actually some terrier mix. But um, I think it's heavily influenced by the fact that Kim is here. And she's a bitch. So um, (laughs) she like growls at him a lot. And he's like, I don't want anything to do with that. But there's like a whole decompressing situation when dogs come out of the shelter, you know. So we'll see how his personality is once he gets... More comfortable. That's understandable. I think if I spent all my time in, like, basically dog prison and then I left, I'd be, I'd be a little <laughs> bit, just, like, hmm. Extremely I, I, suspicious about everything. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Like, I know humans. Humans are nice, but also they put me in a cage for a really long time. Like a really so, long time, guys. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I don't want to, like, disparage the whole species, but it was a really long time. So, I don't know. You're a human. I don't know. I don't know. We'll see. (laughs) I'll get back to you. (laughs) Put a pin in that. Put a pin in it. Mm Mm-hmm. How about you? How's your Sunday? My Sunday is pretty good. Um, Mm -hmm. I, let's see, what have I done? Not much this morning. Um... Yesterday, I actually, so I volunteer every week at my local anti-racist farmer's market because the farmer's market in town, they have white supremacists there um, and say that Mm -hmm. they can't kick them out because it needs to be open to everyone. 
Um, God. Anyway, so they have white supremacists there, and so people are boycotting it, and so you need other farmer's markets. So this one, called the People's Market, started out, and it's really cool. Um, like, it, it also started in the middle of COVID, uh, which was mm-hmm. a lot. So it, it's it's uh, up until this, this last two weeks, it was a drive-up type of thing where you pre-ordered. And so you could do this thing where you sponsored a box for someone else, but you also got your own box. Um, mm-hmm. So you could, like... Like, you know, like, so oftentimes we'll get a produce box and then we'll sponsor produce or we'll buy some eggs and then we'll sponsor some eggs. Um, And then they, so you can sign up for a sponsored box as well. And they take food stamps and everything as well. Um, But it was kind of a, so it was a really stressful week this week because like they, they under, they just basically under scheduled volunteers and they had a bunch of new volunteers. So there's a lot of people Mm -hmm. that were just like for the, they're like, Hey, what do I do? And I'm like, and I, Anyway, it was very stressful because I was also in a <laughs> new. <laughs> I was also in a new role. Like, like I had this one thing I did for like literally like six weeks, and then mm-hmm. they've I've been bouncing around for the last ones, and so I was basically like, oh my God. like, like, and you I was were, a, you were a begrudging leader again. I was a book a little bit, and anyway, there were like these traffic patterns <laughs> need to be figured out, uh, and my husband. I want to I want to tell a little story about Alana first. <laughs> uh, for the for the dear listeners is that ever since I have known Alana, she accidentally get gets into a leader position. Like she was like I was accidentally a leader today. <laughs> or like I joined a group and then I accidentally became leader. And it's like how do you do that, Alana? You just you just do that. I'm a very confident person and I'm very <laughs> You just Very, look really like put together, and I'm an A type person. Put together, yeah, I, you, I am pretty put together, and I you love the spreadsheets. I, I love I love the spreadsheets, and yeah, it happened to me like you know when I was in Greater Lafayette, Immigrant Allies. I was just trying to show up in high school. I I showed up for the Black Student Union, became president <laughs> of that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, became equipment manager for the Quidditch team. Just <laughs> a very put together person. Like, your aura just exudes this like she can schedule things. <laughs> <laughs> that lady she can tell people where people should go. <laughs> you know. Anyway, yeah, so anyway, so we were, like, trying to figure this out, yeah, and part of this was, is, like, I was at the welcome table, and I, I I have been to a farmer's market, but I don't know anything about a farmer's market, and so I had to, like, no one was there who knew how to do a farmer's market, so I had to, like, make up the rules as I was going at this welcome table. Anyway, and it was, and it was a wild ride for many different reasons, but one of the reasons what is, like, in the middle of this farmer's market, so imagine, like, a, you know, a parking lot where this farmer's market is happening, in the middle of it mm-hmm. was this, was this um, giant semi with his engine running, all right? So, like, imagine, you know, you've got all these, like, nice vendors, and right in the middle is, like, a freaking semi that's just, like... <laughs> Like it's and it's just rumbling away and like giving off exhaust and like and I'm like I'm like does anyone know why this is here and then like everyone has those vague answers which sound like someone told someone that told someone you know like like mm-hmm. no one is dealing with it and I'm like oh god like I don't know what to do about this but like I'm not gonna take over because like you know I don't want to be the person that like knocks on the door and like gets shot or something like that right. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so, like, it's going on for a while. And then this guy walks up to, like, my welcome table. And he's like, hi. And I was like, hello. 
And he was like, um, that's my semi right there. And I was like, oh. And he's like, do you guys want me to move it? And I was like, yes. Yes, yes we would. And think about that. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah. And then and then there's like this moment where he's like, What's going on? And I'm like, oh man, it's like that experience when one white person is talking to another white person and you're about to men- you're about to mention racism, right? <laughs> There's like that moment, like in the pit of your stomach, where you're like, I'm about to mention like 400 years of racism to this other white person. <laughs> All right, here I we mean, go. Maybe, maybe they'll be like, cool, and maybe they'll be like, oh, I never thought of that. Or yeah. Maybe they'll just get really angry and shoot you. Maybe, yeah, yeah. Like maybe, like maybe they'll bring up that the Irish were enslaved or something like that, right? Oh like, God, yeah. And and I'm talking to a literal truck driver. Like imagine yourself and a and a inconsiderate truck driver that let his left his running truck <laughs> in the middle of a farmer's market, right? Like my uh-huh. expectations were not high, right? <laughs> and I'm like, oh, you know, it's this thing, you know, it's it's an inclusive farmers market because of some things that were happening at this other market, blah 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 blah. And you know, we also mm-hmm. do this. It's also a food pantry, and so people can sponsor boxes, etc. Like kind of what I told you guys when we started. And so he's <laughs> like, and so like there's this pause, and he's like, oh, and then I'm like, oh great, like now he's thinking of you know all the ways that he can like tell me like how wrong I am, right? And he's like, oh, um, I have this giant, like, so apparently he was transporting apples, organic apples, from Argentina, and apparently, like, the Kroger rejected them because the the paperwork was incorrect. And he's like, do you guys want some apples? (laughs) Um, (laughs) Racism talk. And then he's like, apples? (laughs) Would you like some apples? Yeah. Yeah, apples. apples. And I was like, oh, well, yes, but first move your truck. Like, that was kind of my thought <laughs> process. Like, because I'm literally looking, it's a literal semi, right? Like, I'm like, mm-hmm. some apples in that world is a lot of apples, um, most likely. Yeah. So anyway, so then he moves it, and then I, I keep doing the rest of the farmer's market stuff. And, and then I, I leave, and the, he still doesn't come back. And I'm like, oh, well, maybe he wasn't serious about giving us apples or whatever. <laughs> anyway, so, like, I leave, and my, my husband takes over my shift or whatever. And then he comes home from his shift a couple hours later with, like, a whole giant box of apples. And I'm talking, like, <laughs> I'm talking, like, a lot of apples. I'm talking, you know, like, imagine an entire box of apples. I'm from Washington State, so I could imagine a box of apples, right? Oh, yeah, I've seen those. Yeah, yeah. it was one of those. And he's like, And yeah. we're not talking about shoebox. We're talking about, we're talking like, of, like, a pallet worth. Mm-hmm. That's, like, three feet high and however big a pallet is. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm like... Brought back that. He brought back that. And he's like, yeah, there was like a ton of apples. So like this, this. So first the guy, he left and he apparently took, went to the Hoosier Hills Food Bank, which is a big food bank in the area. And they took 14 of these monsters, right? And then, and then he came back and then like every volunteer got to take home like a thing of apples. Um, because they still didn't have enough room, right? And so like, I'm looking at it and I have like 80 apples, right? And, and, and I'm like. This is way too many apples. But, it, you know, like, yeah. it was one of those situations where, like, it's easier for you to take than for you to take the amount you need, right? Yeah. Um. So so then we're like, well, we only, you know, like, we load them into a thing and we, like, 30 apples is, like, as much as I can foreseeably eat, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I'm not a freezer of food, right? So, like, 
I'm, I'm not. So, like, what are we going to do? And so then we start, we bag up the apples into, like, groups of, like, eight or nine apples. Mm-hmm. And then we, we put a little note on it. And then we just walk around our neighborhood, like, hey, we're across the street. Here's the situation. Can you take these apples off our hands? Um, <laughs> and people are like, yeah, I will take, I will take your apples. I had no idea I, th- that I could have apples. This is so great. <laughs> you know, and then we'd be like talking and they'd be like, you need to go and like drop some off at these people. These people have teenagers. They would definitely take your apples uh, oh, yeah. and stuff like that. So like we were talking and having a good time and walking down the street and giving people apples. Uh, so it became like a nice community thing in which that's we, so cute. We walked up and that it. if I had someone that was like, hey, do you want these free apples? I'd be fucking stoked. Yeah. I mean, like, yes, fruit is expensive. I love apples. If I have too many, I can make a pie. Yeah, that was exactly what they said. They're like, man, we'll make some pies or something. It'd be great. Which, <laughs> which by the way, will probably lead in the next couple of days to someone, like, dropping off a pie at my house. <laughs> which is, like, extra bonus. I know, right? Right? Mm-hmm. Now, admittedly, I still have 30 apples, so I could definitely achieve pie by myself. But... Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it was it was sweet. It was one of those like magical moments where like yeah. where like you're you know like I was like oh man like I didn't even want to look at this guy's truck in case there was like a Confederate flag on it right <laughs> like that was where yeah. I was at like I was like I I don't know if I want to enter a screaming match with a man who has a literal truck uh, mm-hmm. in the middle of the farmers market right and it turned yeah. out to be delightful it was magic it was a sorry that was longer than I meant this story to be. That's just, like, a nice little fun, cute thing that happened, you know? There's so much bad shit in the world right now. It's nice to hear some nice stuff. Neighbors, helping out neighbors. Some guy, like, I wonder how often that is when grocery stores just, like, turn away giant amount of food, you know? I don't know, but a friend of mine, um, who actually worked with both of us at Girl Scout camp, um, said that that happened in Colorado as well with potatoes. Hmm. So I think I think it happens because I also googled this when I got home because I'm like, is this a poison apple situation? <laughs> am, I, am I part of some sort of con? You know? <laughs> yeah the the dark circle poison apple ring. Yeah. They come into unwitting small towns in Indiana or otherwise, and just give the entire town poison apples. Yeah, and did, the, did he look like an old witch? <laughs> <laughs> was he asking a mirror if this was a good idea? You know, honestly, so he was wearing a mask at the time. I believe he was wearing mm-hmm. a mask. Good. And That's I good. mask is good. And I feel like your witchiness is all in the chin. You know? And yeah, I, it yeah. was probably covered. It's and probably like covered. The, the wart in the nose, on the yeah. nose. Yeah, like, so you miss a lot That's of the key thing. identifying figures to being a mm-hmm. witch when someone is Was wearing. he like, come closer, dearie? <laughs> Did he call you dearie at any point? You know, now that you mention it. <laughs> Listen, Alana, you are the fairest of the land, and he hates that. He hates it. You know, he did end our interaction with, you'll reap what you should sow. (laughs) (laughs) Alana, 
Oh man, uh, you need to you need to pay attention to your red flag. <laughs> <laughs> You'll reap just, what you sow. <laughs> I just thought it was an agricultural joke, you know. Because mm-hmm. you're getting apples. <laughs> we'll reap these apples when we sow them into the ground. <laughs> Even though that's not how it works these days. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just remembering that book. We read a couple of books together. You'll reap what you sow. Oh my god! And that was the same book where he was like, "So we meet again." So we meet again. <laughs> this like uh, tattooed guy. So we meet again. So we meet again. Who says that? Any in any context? In any context. <laughs> well, let me tell you about the cocktail I made for us today. Oh yes. I want to know. So first of all, I looked up what is the most popular uh, cocktail in Texas. Mm-hmm. And I was surprised to find out it was a Paloma, which is actually a common Mexican um, cocktail that has tequila and grapefruit juice in it. And a little mm-hmm. bit of lime. And so that's what I started with. And then I made it and it just wasn't like Texas enough for me. Right? Mm-hmm. So I, I had like, it has a a quarter of a cup of tequila. So it's pretty boozy, right? It's got a <laughs> tablespoon of grapefruit juice and it has 1.5 uh, uh, tablespoons of lime juice. And then I added like mm-hmm. a tablespoon of bourbon to it because mm-hmm. that felt Texas. Um, and then I wanted it to, to be just sweeter. So I added two ta- teaspoons of sugar to it. Um, and if I was telling the truth, I actually added two tablespoons of sugar, but I, I seemed, it seemed that seemed like a lot when I was writing this. <laughs> anyway... <laughs> And anyway, so then I... I so you're shake, a liar. So we shake it up. <laughs> and then I added club soda on top. And then I garnished it mm-hmm. with a slice of lime. And I call this um, the heart and hand woman. That's what I call Ah. It. Yeah, that's a good one. Heart and hand. So I want... You, you, like, wrote to this cocktail and then was like, hey, I have a ranch that... Um, would you be my wife? And then the cocktail was like, yeah, sure. <laughs> and then like basically did the Orient Trail. Yes. Them. Yeah. Like basically. I did want to call it Sorrel originally after the horse mm-hmm. or Black yeah. Thunder, which is one of another horses. <laughs> that would be problematic. Or I also just wanted to call it Horse Metaphor. Like, horse <laughs> Metaphor. <laughs> just because that is... Uh, what I took away from this book, but um, but heart and hand sounded sounded a little bit classier, mm-hmm. um, yeah, uh, for sure. But yeah, um, a heart and hand is a male is a, a mail order bride uh, in this in this particular story, named after the magazine apparently where you got mm-hmm. these ladies, which sounds like an excellent magazine, by the way. Like, I would love to read it just to like. Just to gossip about yeah, it. Just to know? be like I'm sure there's a lot of like, you know, must must know how to do laundry or something like that. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Also like the like people advertising themselves like what would you refer to yourself? Do you refer to yourself as buxom? <laughs> Is that curvaceous? Curvaceous? No, they wouldn't say curvaceous. They would definitely, yeah. Stout, even? Mm-hmm. That would, that's unpleasant. That is, un- that is unpleasant. Uh-huh. <laughs> Buxom. Buxom. <laughs> it's like, you're just asking for a lot of weirdos. <laughs> I don't, I don't know. I don't know what beauty, what, what beauty, um, 
uh, descriptions are in this book. So. (laughs) Are you telling me you don't know the common vernacular of post-Civil War classified ads? What is wrong with you? What is wrong with you? What, indeed, what is wrong with me that I (laughs) do not know the, yeah, the back and forths of. I really, and I would have liked to have seen the ad itself because they just focus on the fact that they write to each other. Which sounds really cute in general. But I'm going to write about, I'm going to read the description of of, uh, Texas Destiny. Okay. He's fallen for a woman. Anxious to meet her soon-to-be husband, Dallas Lay, for the first time, mail-order bride Amelia Carson is en route to Fort Worth, Texas. When she steps off the train and locks eyes with her betrothed, she immediately feels drawn to him. But the cowboy standing before her isn't Dallas. Instead, Dallas's brother Houston has been sent to accompany her on a three-week journey to the ranch where she'll begin her new life. The war Houston, Houston fought for has left him with visible scars, a daily reminder of his cowardice on the battlefield. Denying his intense attraction to Amelia, he's determined to deliver her untouched, as promised. But during their long, dangerous trip, he can't help but admire her inner strength and fearlessness. And when she looks to him as if she can see beyond his scarred face and read his innermost thoughts, he loses his heart to her. And now, as they near the ranch, Houston must uh, uh, choose to remain loyal to his brother— or find courage to fight for the woman he's convinced is his destiny. So, um, so yeah. great. I so all right. I guess I'll I'll start with that. I thought that this book had a lot of heart as a story. Um, I and while I didn't always like Amelia. I felt like she was given some amount of personality in the mm-hmm. story, especially as the story itself is really the story of the reconciliation of Houston and Dallas mm-hmm. as characters. Like the story has much more to do with the the, the with the, the sort of strife between the two of them than it really has to do with her, right? Yeah. So I felt like that was a really interesting thing, even when Amelia herself was sort of one-dimensional at times, you know? Yeah. Um, I've read Lorraine Heath before, and I've I've liked some of her stuff. Um, but she write—the stuff that I've read is historical novels. And I felt this, this book really fit in to the historical genre— because it's it's pretty well written, you know? There's not, like, weird sentences or misspellings or, you know. We have very low standards for writing, <laughs> yeah. basically. And, you know, it, yeah, yeah, like, it, 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 and it follows, like, a trajectory, right? Mm-hmm. And it's very, it's very, like, I wouldn't say predictable, but, yeah, kind of predictable. Where, you know, you know what you're you're getting into. Like, you know, they go on this trip. <laughs> um, so in Fort Worth, they need to travel for three more weeks or something um, in order to get to um, his ranch. And he has this covered wagon. And they, like, she gets, like, a snake bite. And there's a 
They tried to ford the river. I know. When they got to the part where they were deciding whether to ford the river, I'm like, no. Don't ford don't the river. Don't do it. Don't I've, I've played this game before. I've played it. Like, like I feel yeah. like there's like a millennial moment where you're like, don't ford the river. It's too high. It's too dangerous. It's just too high. Just, just wait a day. You know? <laughs> I would always ford the river. Because <laughs> then it would be like, if they die, meh. I could just start again. I literally spent all my time hunting, basically. Oh, yeah. Time. Hunting is fun. Hunt- hunting, which is a later Oregon Trail thing, I have to point out. You couldn't originally hunt. I don't think you what? Um You mean the the like Apple computer thing? Yeah, yeah. When you originally you could hunt in that, you could hunt. I don't. Okay. Yeah, it wasn't as like fancy as some other stuff, but yeah, because in later versions you could like, you could like click and. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you get like a buffalo, and they'd be like, "There's six hundred pounds here. Do you want to take 12? <laughs> yeah, and you'd be like, "Darn it!" It's like when, like, it was, that was, like, the most real part of the whole thing is, like, yeah. oh, man, I got this thing. Oh, right. I don't have enough room on my stupid wagon for a mm-hmm. buffalo. Uh, yeah. Maybe I should have just filled up on rabbits. <laughs> yeah, definitely. As an aside to this day, Matt will attempt to use his plant identification from the Oregon Trail in real life to decide whether we can eat something that he sees. <laughs> And I'm like, that, Identification. that was a game. That was a game. <laughs> like, that was fantastic. Yeah, he's always like, I saw this on the Oregon Trail. We can eat this. I'm like, first of all, that was like not in the part of India. That was not in Indiana. So we don't know what varieties exist here. Mm-hmm. He's like, I'm pretty sure that that's a, that's a, whatever it is. <laughs> he's always trying to use it. Anyway, but yeah, they definitely there's definitely a Oregon Trail element of it where they where she <laughs> yeah. literally gets a snake bite. Mm-hmm. She gets a snake bite. And that's like instant death in Oregon Trail. They're like, yeah. Oh, she died from a uh, snake bite. Uh, and you're like, damn it. <laughs> yeah. Which is almost almost contemporary to the story since it was since it is so old. So um yeah, so they go they go on this like trip and they you know she lose all their stuff and while fording the river and they and also like for some unexplicable reason they decide they're gonna go and get these these um these wild mustang, mustangs. My, wild mustangs which felt very impractical at the time because their food was running out but okay all right um, I guess that's how you know the story takes place in Texas. <laughs> Yeah. Um, I will say that something, parts of this book aged fine, but the part of the book that did not age well is mm-hmm. the, uh, the Southern, the South Will Rise Again subplot. Yeah. Which was that, um, basically Amelia's whole family was essentially murdered by Union soldiers um mm-hmm. as part of it and additionally um and additionally um you know uh, uh Dallas and Houston are both ex-confederate 
soldiers, right? Yeah. And there is sort of a a theme of the destruction of the South and how terrible that was. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> throughout the story. Like, there's no, like, well, but, you know, some people were freed from slavery. So, you know, there's mm-hmm. that. There's always that. Um. Yeah, there's not a whole lot. Yeah, there's, there's she just a, lived on a plantation and did not mention a single black person. Yes, that, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and her poor father, who, <laughs> like, didn't he take his life or something? It was something like that. Yeah. And this, yeah, yeah this carpet bagger comes owner. in. Yeah, her poor father, the slave owner, yeah. <laughs> they lost everything they had. Which they had because they enslaved a whole bunch of people. And, and like, the worst thing, and, and you know, like, it's it's also, like, the murder and rape of her sisters and her mother, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's so, like, oh, my God, they came and they destroyed white womenhood, right? Like, that's the focus, mm-hmm. is the attack on white womenhood is the focus of, yeah. of the thing. And I agree, not a single... Black person, only one Mexican character, despite the fact it takes place in Texas. Freaking Texas. Which was, which, which at the time of the story had only recently been Mexico, right? Uh-huh. Um, yeah, like there's one Mexican character in this whole Who's story. Who's Mexican character? Um, the, the cook, Cookie, who doesn't even get a full name. Cookie is Mexican? Well, no, they say he's, a, he's white. His his wife was Mexican. Oh, well, okay. So there's zero, zero. All right, I stand corrected. Zero white, zero other than white people. Yeah, it's all <laughs> about how how bad it is for white people. Mm-hmm. And there are no, there is no other characters in this no. in this story. Right? It's the entire yeah. story as if there was not as the total erasure of all people of color. In this story, which I will give, I will give it some credit because it is 1993, right? Yeah. And, you know, it could have been, like, if you read Outlander, right, which has a lot of problems with gay people, right, that is somewhat in the same area, or the fact that Outlander also, during this, during this period written during the same time, takes place in the South and also does not have very many black characters, yeah. So I, I, I give it some credit, but it definitely does not age well as a as a as a historical place. Um Yeah. <laughs> I mean basically I think the the most uh historical reference was the whole Mustang thing and then also the Oregon Trail experience. <clears throat> um but other than that, it was pretty pretty bare of, like, historical significance. Also, I felt really uncomfortable because um, I've only recently learned about Juneteenth. I feel bad not knowing <laughs> what Juneteenth was. But it was basically the place, like, two years after the Civil War and the Emancipation Proclamation. Mm-hmm. There were slave owners that just didn't tell their slaves that they were free now. And that happened in Texas. Yep, Texas. So, uh, where are those people? You know? <laughs> like, 
these people who fled with their slaves to this great outpost of Texas, you know? Yeah, where was where was kind of that that part of the story? Mm-hmm. Um uh yeah, I mean, so yeah, and this definitely slave state for sure. And yeah, the whole idea this whole I version of of the of the um of that reconstruction that's sort of part of this story um yeah is really bare of um focused on it but i will say towards its benefit something that's ahead of its time as like a book from that period is the concept of toxic masculinity that Mm -hmm. is a part of this story and is not part of that i think that period of romance novel right Mm. like like, there is a lot of descriptions of the attempt of both Houston and Dallas to not deal with their own post-traumatic stress and yeah. and also the toxic relationship they had with their father that mm-hmm. that had that had sort of kind of destroyed their relationship both with themselves and their relationship with their younger brother, right? And 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 their attempt to like bottle it up is, like, amazingly ineffective in the story, right? Like, it creates all sorts of pain for everyone involved, which I thought was a really perceptive concept of masculinity, right? Like, a lot of uh, Houston's character arc has to deal not with, like, reclaiming or in any way, like, like, proclaiming his love for Amelia, but with really reconciling his own feelings and finding the ways to communicate with, Dallas. Like, I think that's the true arc of the story. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think that's pretty, um, I don't know if I would agree that that's as progressive, progressive for the time. Um, but I think that, that idea of, um, like, it's, it's a really simplistic view of, of the issues that, that, um, that they have, you know, it's kind of like armchair psychology of like, he doesn't want to talk about it. So suddenly he talks about it and then he feels better. And then, Oh no, it was a big misunderstanding, you know, much like that. Um, the, the, um, Lord Ian McKenzie, um, book where he was like, I thought you killed her. No, I thought you killed her, you know? And it was just, it's just a big misunderstanding, really. You know, um, I feel like I feel like romances kind of live within and without the masculine narrative because, um, on one hand, they're they're all like this guy who's like really down on himself and trying to be a man, but he doesn't feel like he's a man and he has scars on his face and that is problem. And he like takes all this responsibility for something that happened a long time ago and he's just really distressed, but doesn't express it, you know? And, and on one hand it's like, yeah, that's bad. You know, maybe you should feel your feelings and, own up to your responsibility and maybe take some therapy and, (laughs) you know, like, all that kind of stuff. But on the other hand, like, the women fix them, you know? (laughs) Like, it's... They still don't... 
we address the toxic masculinity of them not being able to express themselves, but they still don't express themselves outside of the, um, the, you know, purview of, of masculinity, you know, like talking to your girlfriend about things that are hard is still, is still within, within the typical masculine, um, ideal. But also like, and before he can, I would say before he can, um, like truly proclaim his love to Amelia, he had, he had to reconcile his relationship with Dallas and he went and he talked Mm -hmm. to Dallas about his feelings. Yeah. There was that part of it. And I agree. It's a little bit like woman as, as psychologist and this book has the um, women whose uterus gives the medical training um, Mm -hmm. as well. Right. Like she's just, is just so good at taking care of people. Um, You know, like she's literally like, so like with no prior training, she is literally give, giving people stitches. Um, Mm -hmm. Which is, which is also part of this book. But yeah, like embroiders. It's the same thing, really. <laughs> it's it's probably the same thing. There's definitely <laughs> nothing special about doctors at all. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it does do that, right? Like, um, if we read it just as a romance novel, um, so much of what it just shows, like the burden of womanhood in this story, in which apparently it wasn't until she got there that they could have possibly have resolved these very deep issues. Um, so, like, I don't, I don't know, yeah, I, I agree that 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 is her role in the story, right? Like, she doesn't, she doesn't really have, I mean, she, she has some motivation, like, clearly, despite the fact it's totally not a good move, um, she totally, like, is determined to spend as much time with Houston as possible, um, Mm -hmm. And I also like the fact that Dallas 100% understood what was going on, right? <laughs> like, Dallas understood that, like, Amelia was in love with Houston. And I really liked Dallas. I thought Dallas was a character that was, like, trying to do the best he could. You know, like, like his darn wife, like, showed up in love with his brother. Like yeah, that's awkward. Yeah, but he already said he'd, ma- he'd marry her. So, like, he's going to marry her, even though she clearly, like, has a thing for her brother. And try and be the best he can, but he has to do what he needs to do. Like, he's not gonna, he's not gonna, like, storm and be like, how dare you? Like, he was a, I I thought it was an interesting way of dealing with it, right? In which it wasn't that, like, Dallas rejects Amelia, it's that Houston needs to realize that he can love Amelia, right? Like, that's really the, the the way they set it up. Which I thought was really nice. I mean, there are so many other ways you could do a character like Dallas, right? Um, yeah. That are just... I mean, he could easily have been the villain. Mm-hmm. I, I'm... I, I don't know. A self-made man that is, like, extremely focused on creating an empire and having a, a son to inherit it. Is just gonna like give up on his wife that he spent like a year, like he built his house for her, <laughs> and he put his her initial in his um, brand, and he's just like, if you don't love me, that's fine, you know. 
a little hard to believe, but it's just a romance novel, so it's fine. I feel like there were some points where I was like, I can see this. Like, I can see Paul Newman playing this character, you know? Or, like, I don't know, somebody else really hot. <laughs> um, and all those, all those stories, you know, the Westerns and Tennessee Williams and all those, like, the men in those stories would have acted extremely differently to this exact same situation, you know? Like, it was all about, like, manliness and must protect the woman and, you know, that kind of stuff. But he was like, all right, it's fine. Go marry my brother. I was almost going to fuck you, but you don't want that. It's fine, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, no, I mean, it, it seemed a little surprising, but I don't know. It didn't bother me because I felt like there was kind of a... Like, I... I think we could all agree that, like, those cowboy movies from the 50s weren't entirely about the period either, right? Um, like, they were mostly about this, like, this kind of masculine story that was happening. Um, uh, but, yeah, I mean, it didn't, it didn't seem like something that would be of the period, right? Um, but I don't know. I mean, it also had a, had a certain kind of sweetness to it that made it, um, you know, I, I thought you would like this book, Wendy, because there's so much feelings talk. They're constantly talking about their feelings. <laughs> there is a lot of feelings. Um, I was kind of iffy about this book. Um, it, first of all, made me really uncomfortable that we were talking about post-Civil War <laughs> situations. You know, considering the current current political climate, you know. <laughs> yeah, we're literally, um, we're literally trying to stop building not monuments to, like, you know, Civil War soldiers, and here we are reading a book about Civil War soldiers, right? That, yeah. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> and it's, it's so, like, it's so, like, trying to play on your heartstrings, heartstrings of, like, you know, he was in the war, and they lost everything, and he got his face scarred, and now he doesn't believe he's, you know, <laughs> right for a woman. I don't know. I feel like, I feel like maybe, maybe I'm just, like, specific to a historical romance because that it has all the elements that I love. Armchair psychology, fixing things with emotional healing, and, uh, you know, scarred hero that is really self-conscious about his looks, even though she doesn't give a shit. You know? Like, I love all those things. Uh, but, I don't know. Just didn't jive with me as much. But, it was, it was good. I will say a part that made me very uncomfortable in a post, um, I don't know, normalization of uh, S&M relationships is the metaphor of breaking a Mustang that came up <laughs> several times. <laughs> um, and I understand that, like, at times I'm like, okay, they're just talking about the horse. But then when they do it in the last scene, 
when mm-hmm. and and um, Houston tells Amelia to buck like a stallion, and she says something about breaking him. I'm like, ugh. Gross. Like, <laughs> like I just that part of it was probably the part that I'm like, oh God, please let's let's just let's just treat that like that is something else and that has nothing to do with the sexual dynamics of this situation. You know? <laughs> yeah. But they couldn't quite they couldn't quite uh uh do it, which was unfortunate. Unfortunate, I would say. <laughs> um, um. Yeah, that was weird. <laughs> um, she like it was just I just I just didn't really find anything that was good about Houston. You know, like yeah, he was scarred and he feels really bad about it, but. What else does she love about him? Like, this girl is just, like, throwing herself at Houston at all times, anytime she wants, you know? They're, like, holding hands and making out while um, Dallas is in the next room or whatever. And I'm like, why? Because he can ride a horse? Because he sucked out the poison from me? Is that a reason? Mm, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She just, I, she just loved him. It was just one of those things where it's like the the name of the game is drama and feeling. And she had to love someone, so she she loved him, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah, I, I agree, which is sort of the problem is that Amelia as a character – I don't know. I go back and forth because in this time period that she's in, Amelia doesn't have a lot of options. And she also doesn't have a lot of options because there's not a lot of secondary characters in the story, right? Yeah. So, like, I mean, like, there's not... It's just... It, there just isn't a lot of time to, like, build her part of it. I agree. Why she likes Houston, I don't know. I, I would probably have chosen Dallas. Like... <laughs> Let's let's let me count the reasons. Number one, he has like this huge ass farm. Number two, he's rocking a really excellent mustache. Number three, (laughs) number three, everybody unequivocally thinks he's hot. Number four, he has a lot of money. You know. Number five, he wrote you some fucking love letters. All right. Yeah. All right. And it was like sensible love letter shit, not like. I will die without you, and I'm so not worthy of you. Bullshit. You know. Yeah, it was. It was. Yeah, yeah. And and number number six, like he's willing to fucking marry you, even even though like you may or may not have slept with his brother, right? Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Right? Which she did. I mean, technically, there was an awful lot of canoodling going on. Like, yeah, I'm not saying there were. was sex, but I there, was, was, there was definitely unsanctioned canoodling. There was heavy petting, for sure, <laughs> in the story. Like, yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, I'm not exactly sure if if it was Dallas instead of Houston if she would fall in love in, with Dallas instead, like, or if it was like some ranch hand, <laughs> <laughs> random ranch hand, who like took her 
through the Oregon Trail and sucked the poison out of her, out of her knee. Um, <laughs> would or she if it would have like, been the dressmaker. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> the dressmaker Marie got it going on. <laughs> Suck the poison um, out, you know? Yeah. That, yeah. It's not really clear why she necessarily falls in love with him. Um, yeah. She's got like this thing for this strong, silent type uh, mm-hmm. situation. Um, uh. So I've been watching a lot of 90 Day Fiance before the 90 Days. <laughs> I think this is relevant to the conversation. <laughs> go on. Go on. <laughs> go on. Um. <laughs> I think, like, so with these 90-day people who, like, meet a person for two weeks in another country and then continue to talk to them over Facebook or or phone or chat or whatever, you know, they are in a specific situation where it's like, if you're dating someone, like, in real life... It's hard enough to not, like, put your own feelings and emotional baggage on someone else, you know, and try to learn who that person is. But when you are, like, separated from them and it's all sort of, like, kind of, it's rushed and, like, they can't be together and, you know, (laughs) um, they're ill-fated lovers or whatever, (laughs) um... That that adds a level of of excitement to the romance, you know? And I feel like this girl added a level of excitement to the romance with the brother, you know? Because mm-hmm. she's not supposed to be with him. And there's this, like, whirlwind 20, I mean, two weeks where she just hangs out with him. And they know they're not supposed to be together, but they really want to be together. Like, doesn't that make you want to be with someone more? Because you know you're not supposed to do it. You know? Like, yeah, she's just high yeah. off of the adrenaline. adrenaline mm. You know? And these, these people in 90 Day Fiance or whatever, like, you can tell when that moment crashes. You know, like when they are like, this one guy proposes to a girl and she's like, maybe not yet. Because she's not freaking insane and marries somebody, you know, um, two weeks after she met him in real life. And he had no idea that she would say not yet. He had no clue because he was on his own trajectory of like, I'm going to go to Russia. I'm going to meet this girl. It's going to be amazing. We're going to have amazing ventures. I'm going to propose and then we can start our life together, you know, because he was just riding on that adrenaline. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what happened. Anyway, I watch a lot of 90 Day Fiance. <laughs> yeah, in in conclusion, no, I think I think it's real, right? Like like they had this one experience and then it's also, you know, it was always kind of that they there's only so far they could go, which they went pretty far for the period, right? Uh mm-hmm. in general, um uh and it's you know, like they like like literally early in the book they're literally doing like strip teases for each other. Um, uh, 
Yeah, no, I agree that, that like, in terms of it, it didn't make a good argument for why. Besides the fact that she just kind of wanted to fix him, right? Like, it almost helped the story that he got so more so terribly wounded in that rescue attempt, right? Like, it only fed that love that she had for him because yeah. she could take care of him. Um, which I don't, I don't know. I mean, it seemed, it seemed like it worked for her. And I, I also like that Dallas was not going to like hold on to that. Cause I want to be like, Dallas, <laughs> it's Dallas. like, you can do better. All right. <laughs> You're like the consoling friend after a breakup. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. You uh, can do better. You can do like, girl, 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 you can do so much better. All right. Forget about let's have him. another cocktail. Yeah. Yeah. Let's have another let's cocktail. Have yeah. <laughs> you know, Remember like. when you tried to make an, a drink that said dump him? Yeah. <laughs> that was so funny. Dump him. Oh, yeah. man. Dump no, her. I, that's what it should say. Yeah, in this story, I felt definitely for Dallas. Like, Dallas, you've got your whole life ahead of you. Like, you will impregnate some other lady. Uh-huh. Like, you deserve a woman that's going to love you. <laughs> yeah. You it don't, was kind of like, it was also kind of like, um, I, some tweet I saw was like, he's like, this guy was like, I um, work in finance so I'm really excited for the time that my fiancé will um, issue our relationship in order to hang out with a guy in a small town that loves yeah. to play guitar. Well, yeah, <laughs> while, while learning the true meaning of Christmas, you know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, like he's a finance guy who lives in New York City. and <laughs> I'm like, I'm glad that you that you understand the situation. Yeah, because what what does Dallas want? He wants her to be, like, as a partner, you know? Like, he Mm -hmm. asks nothing of her. He needs needs some fixing, but he doesn't need a lot of fixing. And she just needs to fix someone. And and I don't know if the author really, I mean, maybe they could have pushed this a little bit more. She just needs it. That is just who she is. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, anyway. Like, like, yeah. No, for sure. Like, Dallas... I I saw he has his own book. Um, mm-hmm. Like, you know, he's going to end up with some heiress who's going to bring a lot more to the table here. <laughs> I love how hard you're rooting for Dallas. <laughs> I am. Dallas was hot. And admittedly, I was like, I was into like the the uh, the facial disfigurement thing going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, like that was that was good. But but and Dallas, patch, he wore an eye patch a lot a lot of times. Yeah, he wore an eye patch, and that was good. But at the same time, you know, when he t- when he would like theoretically take me back to his place, and it was like this farm that was like basically supposed to remind him of of his mother, like. <laughs> Like and, and then he's like maybe gonna like breed some horses. That is not a long term strategy. <laughs> like Dallas is gonna build an accidental leader is because yeah. you think in the long term. Dallas is gonna build going on for you. He's gonna build a town. Okay, he's gonna build a whole town. What is Houston gonna do? He's gonna cry. Maybe you know. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, <laughs> <Bye>. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, um, for sure. No. Yeah. Well, I don't know. I, I guess I'm, I'm, I'm talking myself into liking this, this book. Um, but you know, there are also some, some good, some good, you know, like, I'm going to love you forever. Like, um, <laughs> like when, when Houston is talking about it, like she went through hell to get to you. Snake, storm, flood, hunger, and cold, and she never once complained. She's a woman of courage, Dallas, and by God, if you don't worship on her the, the ground that she walks on, I'll find her a husband who will. Now, get the hell off my land. <laughs> so great. So I know. Great. Like, it's just full of that. I So, like, the, the dramedy, I don't know. It was good. It was, I, I have less problems with it than I thought I would. Mm-hmm. In terms of, uh, and I looked it up. It's actually 1997 was when this book came out, but oh. same, same different. That's still same different. Yeah, it's still pretty, pretty long time ago. But yeah, yeah, I was just kind of like meh about this book. I feel like she could have punched it harder with like you know, really digged into something, something that would make Houston stand out because I don't, I don't think that Houston stand out, stood out that much. Um, if nothing else, it could have been a little bit more of the men in the stories talking about like how nice, how great he is because literally no one has any opinions on Houston in the story too. They could have been like, (laughs) he's especially good at this whole breeding thing. He's especially Mm -hmm. good with the horses. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. And I've I've been with people who have dreams that they have no intention of following, you know? Like, they're like, yeah, I'm going to go back to college, and I'm going to do this, and I'm going to breed Mustangs. And it's like, for a while, I believe them, until I see what they're doing, which is nothing, you know? (laughs) And then I'm like... I don't think you're going to do it. <laughs> you know, like there's a lot of people who talk the talk, but don't walk the walk. Oh, undoubtedly. Um, and maybe that's Houston. Maybe he's just going to live in his like three bedroom house. I mean, three room house and maybe have horses. I don't know. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not sure either. Um, I imagine that he goes somewhere because this is a romance novel, and he's mm-hmm. a character in later books. But um, yeah, it's hard to tell. Um, but she seems definitely very sold on it. Surprising for a person who literally watched her father lose everything. Yeah, that she wouldn't want, and was moving because she basically didn't want to live in poverty, right? Though, specifically what she didn't want to do is be, to be put into her father's coffin uh, and while her, while her whole family was murdered. Um, and that seemed to be the thing she was avoiding. But, yeah, I agree. I think that the, that the irrationality of love is a little hard to take in this particular <laughs> But it's a romance, so it's fine. But you know me. I'm always on Team Dallas here. Like... <laughs> He probably has managerial skills. <laughs> I, I got, I was looking forward to a Dallas Amelia romance scene because I'm like, he's going to know what to do. Like, this is going to be <laughs> yeah. a good romance scene. 
you know? Basically, Houston has never had sex with a woman in a way that is pleasant for either of them. Because he's so, he's so self-conscious about his face. So, but Dallas has, he gets freebies from prostitutes because he's so good. Yeah, exactly. Weren't you a little bit, like, excited? Like, I'm like, this is going to make her decision harder. Is he's going to be really good at this? <laughs> <laughs> this is, this right here. This is, this is the hard thing. Yeah, and yeah. Like, an empire. Eh. Ah. He, he knows how to make women feel good. Hmm. Hmm. <laughs> Something to think about. Yeah. No, but clearly Amelia is not a logical character, right? Like, she, every opportunity she can, she runs away to Houston. Mm -hmm. And she just throws herself at him. Girl, put that back in your pants. And he's like, no, we can't. I was like, what if he was like, yeah. (laughs) You know? She would be pregnant right now. That's that's what it would be. She would have arrived, like, super pregnant. And she'd be like, Dallas, (laughs) good news, bad news here. (laughs) (laughs) There's not a lot of good news in that situation. Good news, I'm here. Bad news, I'm not going to marry you, and also I'm pregnant. Yeah, yeah. For sure. Mm -hmm. Oh my god. That's great. That's a great book. (laughs) Probably not going to read the next. Are you going to read the next? I it's about Dallas. You do. I know. I do. I do love his mustache, and (laughs) and and the Dallas book sounded pretty good. But I, I don't. I, I might read it. I was kind of interested in the next story because it involves, like I said, an heiress, and I felt like someone like that. You know, once he's a little bit more established in his in his dream of like running this town, would be really Mm -hmm. interesting. Um, and I felt like, I mean, I, this is my first Lorraine Heath book, but I really felt like she was a capable writer. Yeah, she is. She is. I've liked some, some of her other stuff. There's one about twins. Nice. I love twin books. He pretends to be his twin. (laughs) Of course he does. Of course he does. That's so awkward. But yeah. Um I yeah, I'm not gonna read. I'm not gonna read more. <laughs> the time period is just really hard because that there's no attempt for historical parody mm. um in this particular and like admittedly like uh, Regency is not in any way historical either. But mm-hmm. I don't really care because I don't know any of that history, uh, which is probably, like, if I were Irish or something, I might have some opinions. Uh, or Scottish. But, anyway, I just want some lards. Some layards. <laughs> layards. <laughs> some little kilts. Some a, l- a little kilt. A little dukes. A little dukes as well. Mm-hmm. So, next month, um, we are rejoined... Uh, by my little sister, who is not actually that little anymore, um, Naomi, um, who is going to be joining us. She was last here when I had both my sisters on, uh, if you guys remember. Um, And I can't remember what we read, but I know that my older sister made a lot of sound effects. 
during the podcast. <laughs> it was um, first grave on the right. First grave on the right. Yeah, yeah. Um, and we're gonna read. So we haven't ever done this. We're gonna read YA. All right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we're gonna read Eleanor and Park by Rainbow Rowell, which is I'm really excited about. I'm gonna read about it. So Eleanor is the new girl in town, and she's never felt more alone. All mismatched clothes, mad red hair, and chaotic home life. She couldn't stick out more if she tried. Then she takes a seat on the bus next to Park. Quiet, careful, and, in Eleanor's eyes, impossibly cool. Park's worked out that flying under the radar is the best way to get by. Slowly, steadily, through late-night conversations and ever-growing mix of mixtapes, Eleanor and Park fall in love. They fall in love the way you do the first time. When you're 16, and you have nothing and everything to lose. Set over the the course of one year in 1986, Eleanor and Park is funny, sad, shocking, and true. An exquisite nostalgia trip for anyone who's never forgotten their first love. <laughs> I did not fall in love in 16, so. I definitely, definitely did not fall in love <laughs> at 16. <laughs> but I had friends who felt like this really intense love for someone else that felt like it was forever, right? Like when you had friends who were couples in high school, it felt like that was it. They were going to marry these people. Yeah. Like it really felt so strongly forever mm-hmm. when people were together. Um, But then you're like, as an adult, you're like, yeah, none of that stuff was ever. <laughs> you just little babies. You're just little babies. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Sixteen. I don't, you don't know what the fuck is going on. I don't think maturity-wise I was ready to have anyone else's feelings involved with my own. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I could barely deal with my own feelings. Uh, I, I I would feel that... I, I did I did feel, actually, when I was... After, like, my, my first, like, my couple of boyfriends in high school, I found that I just, I just felt like I was going to like, mess with people's hearts because I didn't really know what I wanted either. Um, mm-hmm. That's kind of that's kind of how I felt. But also, like, I was just also, like, super butch in high school. And <laughs> so it wasn't exactly like there were tons of boys that were like, oh, my God, like, mm-hmm. interested in dating me, which is fine. I mean, you can be super butch, but definitely gave off quite a lesbian vibe. At the time. <laughs> Which is fine. Yeah. So, um, yeah, no, I definitely would never, like, I guess, I guess I think, I think about the, the couple of boys I dated when I was in high school and I'm like, yeah, those, no offense to any of those. I'm still Facebook friends with many of them, but, uh, <laughs> I feel like they would feel the same way. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I never dated in high school. And looking back on it, that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, when you look at it, at the time, you feel like you might be missing out. Like, you have some FOMO. And then you look back at it, and you're like, no. That yeah. really wouldn't have been good for anyone involved. No, no. Teenagers are so temperamental. They're temperamental, and they don't know what they want. And, like, I mean, I had, like, a boyfriend in high school that I literally broke up with because my friend didn't like him. <laughs> oh like, my goodness. Like, like my friend, my best friend at the time, 
Did not like, well, still, still my best friend. Didn't like him. Didn't understand why I was dating him. And that was enough. Yeah. That was enough. It's probably good that I didn't have a relationship in high school because I was, like, 100% behind this, like, sweeping romance, all-consuming, your life is worthless if you don't have someone that, that is romantically involved with you kind of bullshit, which only makes your relationship harder. This <laughs> is all about you, apparently. You know, instead, I had a lot of crushes on guys that were unavailable and or gay. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. There, I, I, I feel like, uh, like, just like quietly coveting is like the right move in high school. <laughs> yeah yeah my friend jared and i once talked um jared's gay and we talked about every single person in high school and how every single guy between the two of us we had some sort of crush on like the ones that he didn't have a crush on i had a crush on. <laughs> that's great that's yeah that would be kind of kind of interesting yeah I don't, I don't know. I'm trying, I, yeah, they were I'm trying to remember who I had, like, crushes on in high school, and it was a wily mix, I guess I will say. Then, I don't know, there was a certain point in high school in which I just was unmotivated in pursuing the whole, like, romantic engagement part of high school. Like, it just was like, I'm like, I'm just going to take my energy elsewhere on this one. <laughs> and it's, and it's kind of a bummer, because, like, Later, as an adult, I w- I could now see that, like, many of those boys that, like, I was coveting were probably secretly coveting me. But I just mm-hmm. didn't know. Like, I wasn't yeah. able to see that. Mm-hmm. Um, Too awkward to get together. Yes. Um, and, and also just, like, I don't know. Everybody is just too messed up to, like, to, like, actually engage with other human beings. Mm-hmm. Like we can we can barely be friends with other teenagers. Yeah. Um yeah. So, I I don't know. I I don't have a lot of regrets about that uh whole period of my life cuz like <laughs> Yeah, which worked out. I mean, I didn't really date a lot in college either. Uh neither. Partially because I had decided that I was not I was not going to like be like motivated to just just by by peer pressure to date. Yeah. Um, though I did have some real like heartbreaking situations where I would tell a boy that I was into them and they were not into me. Mm. Which is something obviously of any sexes you never forget, right? Where you yeah. say to someone, "Hey, I I like you." And they say, "Yeah, that's um um we're yeah, um I'm going to just I don't know how to deal with this. Yeah, yeah. I'm thinking of particular, and I'm not Facebook friends. I like I had like a study partner for one of my history classes who like I spent like a whole quarter hanging out with, and then at the end of it, I'm like, let's date, and he's like, see you later. And I was like, Come on. <laughs> anyway, apparently, reading high school love stories is gonna bring back a lot of memories for both of us. Apparently. Um, and probably Naomi too, because she she had a, a sort of boyfriend on and again, off again boyfriend in high school. Um, 
I know that we were all a big fans of because he was studying to be a mechanic. And how awesome is that? <laughs> anyway, uh, so we were, I don't know. I, I thought that, apparently he had a drinking cup problem once he got to high school. Late high school, so. That's like, yeah, she had some reasons for not particularly dating that guy. But, um, anyway, that's all I had. I appreciate you, Wendy. Um, <laughs> thanks for reading um, this Texas romance. It reminded me of all the things I hate in Texas. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, probably. I mean, like, the good thing about this is that I've, I can say I read a book from the Civil War era. You know, like there's mm-hmm. a lot of books that I've been skipping over because they're like antebellum or whatever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and now I can be like, I refuse. With like I read me. one. Check. Yeah. Check. I checked that box. I'm done. Nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Great. So I'm excited for the next book and um, talking to Naomi again. Yes, um, Naomi is al- is always great to have on here as well. Mm-hmm. Thank you for listening to Getting Lit, available monthly on iTunes. For extra bonus features for this episode, you can visit gwenwendy.com slash gettinglit. And you can also go to our new Facebook page, yeah, Getting new Lit Facebook Podcast, page. which also has some of those things as well. Um, you, can, you can also read more about Wendy um, on, on uh, gwenwendy.com. Uh, you can follow Alana on Twitter, at Librarian Alana. What's the best type of romance novel, Wendy? The trashy kind. Vienna Alana's podcast. Wendy and Alana's podcast. Get literary, get literary, woo!